It's 970 WAMD Aberdeen, and this is the Harford Edge, keeping you on the cutting edge of what's new in Harford County and beyond. I'm co-host Jennifer Button from the Harford County Public Library, and that is Bob Mumby. The Harford Edge is brought to you each week by your Harford County Public Library. Today, we'll be speaking with Master Gardeners Joan Paris and Joyce Browning, and also Ironbird's General Manager Matt Slatus. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Jennifer. Uh, it's lovely. Uh, it feels like April this week, but I guess we need the rain. Well, except for the 90-degree temperatures. Yes. Yes. And the humidity. Yes. Uh, I think you could, you could grow a plant in the air <laughs> hydroponically in today's weather. We'll ask our uh, uh, gardener friends about that. Um, uh, a few quick things, um, things I like and don't like. Um, I have a few on my mind this morning. One is thank you to the library um, for making your opening hours uniform. Um, I think you heard from a few people. You listened. It's a great idea. Because um, as I told you, I went to renew my library card mm -hmm. on the day that I thought it was 10 a.m. And right. it was 11 a.m. that the Bell Library opened. So mm -hmm. as always, fine-tuning the operation to make it better. Hats off. HCPL. Well, thank you, and we were very excited to be able to do that again. Excellent. Now for some things that are less pleasing. Uh-oh. Uh, uh, do they teach people, when they get their driver's license, how to, how to navigate a, a roundabout? Theoretically, they do. Okay. Well, no one's listening. <laughs> I, I mean, people, you're, you're supposed, by the way, I'm going to ask you. Okay. What, what do you do if you're Entering a roundabout. Uh, you yield and look to the left. Okay, very good. You, you yield to people that are in the roundabout already. Correct. That's what that big yield yes. sign means. So I can't tell you how many times I'm sure it's happened to you. Someone just drives in because they're going fast and you're going slower. Right. Um, so naturally I um, put my hand on the horn and follow them for about 15 minutes. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> like to though um the other thing i have to apology to make um to all my neighbors and the people that drive by my house in the morning um and that apology is based upon what i witnessed this morning driving here someone came out of the house to get their paper right they had not looked in the mirror <laughs> They had just gotten out of bed. They had the whole thing going, the tin tin hair. They had, you know, <laughs> this was, uh, you know, I am still s sort of... Are you scarred? Queasy <laughs> and, uh, uh, and upset and uneasy about this sight. And I realized that I, too, go out in the morning before I look in the mirror. Oh, no. So whoever I've afflicted with that, I apologize. <laughs> See, we're equal opportunity gripers here. Now I have a gripe for the county. Harford Transit, Harford Transit Link. First of all, I'll start off by saying thank you because you were beginning the process of building shelters at the bus stops, um, which is long overdue, and thank you for doing that. But what I don't thank you for is that your buses are late often, and it seems pretty easy um, to either change the schedule or find out why the buses are late. I uh, I gave a gentleman a ride the other day, 
it was raining. He looked nervous. Um, he obviously was late for something. And he had just been to the doctor and he had to go to the courthouse in Bel Air. And so I pulled over and I said, I'm going up to Bel Air. Is that where you're going? Yeah. yeah. And he was so thankful he got in. He said, you know, the bus was uh, 20 minutes late. Um, I said, is that, is that rare? He goes, no, it's almost always late. So this guy, you know, he called his wife and he said, thank God this gentleman picked me up. I'm going to make it there on time. Um, no excuse. Um, these people do not have, uh, they were a one car family. <clears throat> and, um, you know, our public transportation has a, has a long way to go in this county. Um, but, um, and I, as a matter of fact, I know some people in the government. I'm going like to mention it to them. Yeah, I feel like maybe you have an in. Maybe you can... Yeah. Uh, yes, I'm going to mention that. Yeah. And but thank you for everything else. Right, um, right. Maybe lead with a thank you and then say, here's maybe a yes. suggestion for improvement. Yes. Yeah. And I think the county executive is doing a great job, by the way. Um, uh, we're going to discuss that in the news, what the leadership he is showing with the EMS uh, first, responder, first responder system. Um, okay, I think that's uh, enough whining for me. Um, okay, do you want to maybe do some trivia? Sure. Okay, Put me good. back in my place. <laughs> well, I'll admit, I went a little easier than last week. I, well, I felt a little bad. With, I was listening. With the ABBA song, ironically, I know like eight ABBA songs. Right. But I, I never heard of that one, so <laughs> I think I could have gotten any other one. <laughs> well, it was tough for me. I only know like two ABBA songs, but well, we'll see. All right, so let's start with a little random trivia. What side of a book are the even-numbered pages usually on? Uh, left. Yes. Very good. All right. Um, George Costanza was a longtime employee of what sports franchise on Seinfeld? The New York Yankees. Yes, he was. <laughs> and Larry David played George Steinbrenner. Yes. And I always loved George's little uh, nap space under yes. his desk. Yeah. Until George Steinbrenner thought it was a bomb. Right. <laughs> Ticking. I watched that the other day. <laughs> um, gingivitis is inflammation of the what? Um, the gums. Yes. The periodontal tissue. Very nice. Okay. Okay. Uh, right. Let's go back to disco for a minute. What disco queen's first gold record was Love to Love You Baby? Donna Summer. Ooh, that was quick. Do you know Well, for a 14-year-old adolescent, mm -hmm. that song got your attention. <laughs> I bet it did. Do you know what year it was? Um, 1974. Close. 75. Okay, so I was 15. Yep. <laughs> I don't want to know any more about that story. <laughs> um... All right, what nationality was the explorer Ponce de Leon? Uh, Spain. Yes, he was Spanish. As um, Many of them were Portuguese, though. Uh, for instance, Vasco da Gama, mm -hmm. who um, first to go to the Cape of Good Hope, Bartolomeu Diaz, who was mm -hmm. the first to go around the Cape of Good Hope. Mm -hmm. oh, so I'm adding some more history questions for you next week. Yes. Good. Ferdinand Magellan. Was Spanish, mm -hmm. as that history student did in his essay, mm -hmm. he um, he um, 
he circumcised the world in a hundred with a hundred foot clipper. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think he circumcised the world. But that's what the kid wrote. <laughs> that's awful. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness, uh, what does a chef do with a mandolin? Whoa, uh, whisk eggs. Not at all. Huh? Not at all. That's that's absolutely not. Shred um, shred something. Close. It's a slicer. It's, okay. It's that long, flat thing okay. with a really, really sharp blade that you should never use without a guard. Okay. <laughs> I use it to whisk eggs. I'm sorry. I don't I, think they so. They told me that. I don't know, Bob. I don't want to eat at your house. <laughs> um, all right. What is Nike's signature symbol called? A uh, swoosh. Yes. One of the ten best logos in the marketing history. Mm-hmm. As oh. they say. Um, all right. Last one. Which river runs through Paris, the most famous? The Seine. Yes. I was actually there last year when it flooded. Uh, the Seine flooded, and they, they closed down the Louvre and the uh, Notre Dame Cathedral, and uh, it became its own tourist attraction um, because you could no longer walk along the bank of the River Seine as you long well, to do it, when you're going to Paris. Well, it's amazing when you think about, about it. What the, the, the priceless... Um, antiquity that would be ruined mm -hmm. if that river had just gone another few feet, because like the Ile de, uh, what is it, the Ile de Paris, where the Notre Dame Cathedral is, mm -hmm. um, Ile de Cité, uh, that's sea level, so right. Uh, dodge the bullet there. Yep. Dodge the bayonet. Use the <laughs> French. Um, um, very good. Very good. I yeah. think you went a little easy on me there. Well, I felt bad. I was trying to make up for last week. Oh, okay. I always just want to make you look more smart. Yeah, well, that's, uh, that's a tall order, so. <laughs> um, but I thank you for trying. Um, and I have a few quick things, since this is our trivia and education um, segment. Very good. What do you got? Um, we have um, today in 1942... Uh, the GI Bill was signed um, in 1944. Uh, it was called the um, Servicemen's Readjustment Act, Readjustment Act, and it is one of the most impactful bills um, by our President and Congress in the history of our nation. Um, uh, and it um, it really is an example of um, uh, of you know what government is for. Um, uh, by 1947, um, uh, before the war, college had only been an option for 10% of young Americans. Mm. Um, and university campuses had become known as a haven for the most privileged classes. By 1947, in contrast, vets made up half of the nation's college enrollment. Wow. Three years later, nearly 500,000 Americans graduated from college, compared with 160,000 in 1939. Um, they were trained in um, education, agriculture, commerce, mining and fishing. Um, that had, and they really had only been previously taught informally, so we'd love to ask our, um, doctor, uh, our doctor from the University of Maryland today. Um, it was really the beginning of actual uh, higher education training in things like agriculture um, and, um, and gardening and things like that. So uh, as a result, 
part, a big chunk of the bill set aside money for unemployment compensation. Um, only 20% of that money was used wow. for unemployment conversation. Big um, different from today. Yes. Over 50 years, the impact of the GI Bill was enormous, with 20 million veterans and dependents using educational benefits and 14 million home loans guaranteed for total federal investment of only $67 billion. Wow. Um, when you talk about we're spending over $4 trillion a year now mm -hmm. in our budget. The total investment since its beginning was only $67 billion. And many say, and I believe, that it was a key driver of the, uh, the tremendous boom um, for everyone uh, in the 50s, through the 50s and 60s. And here's some of the folks who took advantage of the bill. Uh, George H.W. Uh, Bush, Gerald Ford, Al Gore, Johnny Cash, Ed McMahon, Paul Newman, and Clint Eastwood. Wow. That's a, that's a good list. Is that amazing? Yeah. We just had our friends come in. Hi there. Welcome. Hi. And actually, we, we have a question for you right out of the gate. This, uh, folks, uh, we're going to do the news, but we're going to introduce uh, Joan Paris and uh, Dr. Joyce Browning, uh, who just came in. They're going to, uh, we have tons of questions for them about uh, their master gardener and horticultural uh, endeavors that, uh, that benefit all of us. Welcome, ladies. Thank you. It's good to be here. Um, I did have one question. We were talking about the GI Bill and what an impact it had. Um, it was signed in 1944. And um, just to repeat, um, uh, only 160,000 folks were uh, enrolled in college in 1939. Three years later, 500,000 Americans graduated from college um, due to the GI Bill. Uh, they were trained in agriculture, commerce, education, mining, and fishing. So um, what it mentioned was that really these kinds of courses, including what uh, uh, you teach, uh, doctor, were not really official um, um, parts of the curriculum in higher education back then. Uh, is that true? And Well, nor are they now. Oh, really? Oh, I thought uh, well, the Maryland, University of Maryland Extension was uh, made that possible. No? I, yeah, I'm not familiar with what you're discussing. I don't know. Okay. Okay. Well, hats off to, the, um, to uh, FDR and Congress for the, 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 um, the GI Bill. We appreciate it. Um, one other thing we wanted to mention, George Carlin passed away nine years ago today. Um, and that was a sad day because he really, um, he, he really just, he, he observed, he noticed things that none of us did and he made them hilarious. So, um, with that, we're going to do quick news, then we're going to go to break, um, and then we'll take it from there. Um, uh, the first item of news is, uh, last Saturday we had an interesting event, um, there was reports from uh, Hartford Community College campus uh, that there was a, um, an active shooter, um, and the college uh, notified folks that they should uh, shelter in place while it was being investigated. And it, luckily, um, uh, after the police and campus security and others investigated, there was no, um, appears that there was 
uh, no evidence that there was an active shooter. Um, but it, it reminds us that uh, uh, some people um, sort of second-guessed that the college would do that, um, would, would, would send that message out. Um, and I just like to say, what if they didn't send that message out and something was happening? Um, uh, the folks at Virginia Tech 10 years ago, when 32 people lost their lives, were a little slow um, in getting the word out. Um, and some say that they didn't want to uh, cause a panic. So hats off to the, uh, the team at Harford Community College because, you know, there is a risk to uh, making that announcement, but uh, the risk is so much greater than not making it. Um, in a case like that, so hats off uh, to that. And a little shout out to our friends at the Hosanna School Museum. They had their uh, uh, first Juneteenth celebration um, last Saturday, and they had more than 500 visitors attending. Juneteenth is a uh, is the nationally recognized day that commemorates the ending of slavery in the U.S. Um, and it was uh, we had um, the folks from the Hosanna School um, Museum on two weeks ago and it was a it was a great day and it really talked about some brave trailblazers like Edmonia Highgate who founded who helped found the Hosanna school in 1864 um, not exactly a friendly environment in which to um, uh, found a school for African African American kids in 1864 in Maryland so hats off um, to those folks, and uh, congrats for a successful day. Okay, we're going to go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we'll be talking with Master Gardeners Joan Paris and Joyce Browning. Build a better world with Harford County Public Library Summer Reading Challenge. Studies show that children who participate in public library summer reading programs score higher on reading achievement tests at the beginning of the new school year. Experience less summer reading loss and begin the new school year with more confidence. The Harford County Public Library Summer Reading Program, designed from children from birth through high school, will ignite your child's imagination and inspire a lifetime love of reading. Register now at hcplonline.org or any Harford County Public Library branch. Each registered reader will receive a commemorative tote bag filled with Summer Reading Challenge sponsors information and coupons. Upon completion of the Summer Reading Program, all children will receive a certificate of completion and a special gift plus a ticket voucher for an Aberdeen Iron Birds game on August 8th or 24th. For more information and to check out all the special events happening at your library throughout the summer, go to hcplonline.org or pick up a copy of the headlines and happening at any of the library's 13 branches. Help your child build a better world with Harford County Public Library's Summer Reading Challenge. Welcome back. I'm co-host Jennifer Button from the Harford County Public Library, and that is Bob Mumby, and this is the Harford Edge. We're delighted to have Master Gardener Joan Paris and horticulturist Joyce Browning with us in the studio. Joan and Joyce, welcome. Thank Hi. you. It's nice to be here. Yes. And we have questions for you. Uh, but first of all, tell us about um, tell us about yourselves first, uh, Joan. Well, I'm Joan Paris. I have been a Master Gardener since 2009. We moved up here in uh, 2008 from the Washington, D.C. area. And I happened to call the Extension Office one day asking a gardening question, and Joyce said, 
hey, you sound like you'd be a good candidate for the Master Gardener class. So I signed up for it, did my 40 hours, and became a Master Gardener. Uh, and haven't looked back. It's been a great introduction to Harford County. <clears throat> so um, Joyce is a good recruiter as well, then. Absolutely. <laughs> I, no I notice, uh, Joyce, you have 125 volunteer gardeners that yes, you coordinate. Yes, we do. T so tell us about you first. I'm Joyce. I work at the Harford County Extension Office, and I've been there for a little over 10 years. I serve the community by answering gardening questions and pest problems that people might have in their lawn and garden and houses. And then I oversee the Master Gardeners, of which we really almost have 150 now. Mm -hmm. And every year, it's the numbers change as people come in and out of the program. So we offer annual classes. So if anybody out there is interested, we'd love to have you. And what do they do if they're interested? How do they uh, get, uh, get They just touch? need check in with their extension office. Usually what they'll do is channel you right off to me, and then I'll give you the description of what, what are the requirements. We're looking for people who have an interest in gardening. They don't necessarily have to be an accomplished gardener. We're, okay. We offer a training course. So I'm qualified then. You're, yes, we would love to have you, Bob. And if I'm going to Google that uh, so I can get the uh, website or phone number, uh, I'm, what am I going to go to? The University of Maryland Extension? You uh, could really just Google Master Gardeners Maryland, and that would take you to the state website. And at the website, you could then find the different locations because it is in almost every county in the state of Maryland. It's helpful to apply in the class apply for the class in the county that you live because sure would be a lot easier to serve hours near your house. Okay. Because there is a service component to being a master gardener. Um, I'm going to make a note to just talk to you, to you folks uh, after the show. I am uh, do a lot of work with the Boys and Girls Club and we built a, um, hmm. we built a garden um, up at our Aberdeen Club. Yes, with, uh, yes, we've been yes. working with the folks oh, there. Oh, uh -huh. it was... Um, Oh, that, that was, that's right. The woman who coordinated did work for, with you. It was about a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. Ann Olaf. Um, you worked with Ann, I believe that who was originally. It. Yeah, mm -hmm. and then Ashley uh, yes. joined. Ashley. I, yes. uh, my back is still out from uh, <laughs> uh, filling up those, uh, those 10 beds. by 10 squares yeah. with, yes. uh, with soil. Yeah, um, we're, we're in there now. Helping great. with. We have, I think, five resident families working through the Halls Crossroad school system. We have five families from that school who have taken on plots and have got squash started, tomatoes. We finally got water. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that slowed things down. And there are more plots available if people are interested. Um, yeah, and I'm, I apologize. What I'm talking about the Boys and Girls Club of Harford County, with the help of um, these folks and their programs, uh, built a community uh, garden um, with, um, I guess it was 40 uh, plots for the community and another four for the kids. Um, and if you want to talk food desert, uh, Aberdeen, east of Route 40, uh, is a food desert. Right. Um, and we're going to get into that with you folks as well as far as um, uh, folks doing their uh, own uh, gardening and um, uh, etc. So, um, Boys and Girls Club of Harford County. Um, uh, you can Google, and uh, you'll see it on the website for the garden. If you're if you uh, if you're a local resident, you can um, sign up for one of the plots. Um, if you're someone who is interested in being part of the Master Gardeners program, 
that Joyce uh, coordinates. Um, maybe you can um, help uh, with that particular program if they need it. So anyway, I got off the track for a minute there. Um, some of your programs, Baywise Gardening. Um, tell us, uh, again, if, uh, how could folks find out about that? Uh, again, go to Master Gardeners. Yes, go to Master Gardeners and on the state website, just keep looking around in various places. There will be a Baywise tab, or you can, you can Google Baywise Maryland, and it will, it will pop up because it's, it is a statewide program. Uh, we work with uh, homeowners to help them uh, keep their properties up in a way that protects the Chesapeake Bay. We've got a, a document called uh, the Baywise uh, Yardstick, there are over a hundred actions in here that people can do in the way they tend their gardens uh, that will help protect the bay. Such things as mowing your grass tall, leaving it like three and a half to four inches tall. It shades out weeds, you don't need as much fertilizer, you leave the clippings in place, it's, it's healthier for the grass. It's little things like that that um, people don't think about. I mean, a lot of people, if they cut their grass, they want to make it an inch high and, you know, be done with it. Uh, and doing this opens people's eyes to, to uh, taking care of their landscape in different ways. But we, we work with them on composting, mulching, uh, planting natives, uh, integrated pest management, which Joyce is probably going to talk a little bit more about, encouraging wildlife. So there's a whole range of, of topics. What we do is people apply to have their, their uh, landscape certified as bay friendly and we then send out a team of master gardeners, two master gardeners who go over the yardstick with the homeowner um, and then walk around their property and uh, help them discuss issues that they might have that are, that are problematic. If you get 36 points, uh, you get this wonderful sign that says you're Baywise certified. So it's a nice program. It, it, it is. And for instance, I, you know, folks, I, I assume a lot of folks don't realize, um, like ver something as simple as we have a little outlet, um, uh, a little reel uh, that, that, that uh, takes uh, stormwater uh, from the street and also it, um, a lot of the runoff in, the, in our community areas and um, ends up there. Now it gets there mostly through lawn, so it's fine, but um the uh, the soil is now exposed in a big section of it because it's about 50 feet before it gets to a, a, a um a dry pond so what my neighbor and i do we take rocks that we dig up or planting and we just put in like sort of uh, amateur riprap uh talk about things like riprap and how they prevent tons of sediment and nutrients from heading to the bay and feeding algae and killing wildlife and yeah. making it ugly. Yeah, especially if you live, well, actually, if you live near a sewer, you are, <laughs> your water is going into, into the Chesapeake Bay. So you should do everything you can to keep your ground covered either with well, rocks will work, but putting down ground covers, uh, planting rain gardens, 
uh, that sort of thing. Anything that will retain the water, slow down its flow so that it doesn't scrape the soil off and, and into the streams which clog up with silt and then uh, and have a difficult time then getting to the bay. That's, one, that's another area that we really work with homeowners on is it, and uh, reducing the hardscape in your land. If you know putting down permeable uh, blocks with with cracks in between uh, if you're doing a driveway or a patio so that the water can filtrate down into the soil rather than running off across across hardscape okay um, no that that's um, that's good to know we have a, 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 a spring-fed pond that um, we muck out every five years in our neighborhood because it, it, it Silt's up. The county doesn't really, uh, that's not under the, uh, it's one of those things that sort of fell through the cracks. And I know the great team at the Stream and Water Preservation, uh, Christine Buckley and mm -hmm. uh, folks like that, are doing a great job, but they have such a mammoth task ahead of oh, them because yeah. there's so many hundreds and hundreds of facilities. Um, um, so th that's great. And I think people, um, it's one of those things where people, don't know or don't care. I like to think they don't know what huge impact they have personally, um, or can have, or what negative in impact they can minimize by just doing these these basic things. So um, that's uh, program Baywise Maryland is where p folks can go, and that Bayside Yards Baywise Yardstick is something everyone should have. Um, grow it, eat it. What is that? Joyce, you want to talk about Grow It, Eat It? Grow, Grow It, Eat It was a program started with the University of Maryland probably almost five years ago oh, wow. now. It's currently been named one of the signature programs for the University of Maryland, which means there's some additional funding that's going into it. In each county, it's different. For us, primarily in Hartford County, we teach Grow It, Eat It courses at the Hartford County Public Libraries. We appreciate Jennifer and the partnership that we have with the county libraries because they do a large part of the publicity in our behalf. We'll go in and teach basic vegetable courses and then advanced vegetable courses, just teaching people how to grow food that's healthy and certainly without, not totally organic, but without a lot of chemical sprays and just teaching people how to, how to grow them, how to keep those insects off of them, which is a challenge for everybody, whether it's in a container or out in the garden. We're all battling the same war. I have a question about my bunny friends. Um, <laughs> um, I saved um, seven little bunnies, <laughs> yeah. little kits. Uh, last spring, I found them under my mulch when I was just doing, pulling some weeds, and the, it was like a toupee of mulch mm -hmm. the mom had put over them, and they were like days old, and I didn't make sure I didn't touch them. Um, and I even found out from someone to prevent the wolves, uh, not wolves, foxes. We have nasty foxes. Um, they were going to eventually find these bunnies. But someone said if you take a t-shirt that you've worn, preferably without showering, which was happened they were in luck that day, um, <laughs> and just put the shirt near that uh, hutch. Is that the name of the, the, the I think kit? that sounds correct. Okay. Yeah. But not touching it, um, the foxes will stay away because they assume there's a much bigger creature there, um, and the and you won't contaminate the bunnies because once the mother smells your scent on the bunnies, they 
she t might tend to she abandon them, them because yes. um, for uh, it might be a danger to the other bunnies if um, that scent because they're not born with a scent suppose anyway um, I want to talk to you about because now my kids my seven bunnies have come back and they're still <laughs> yeah. on yeah. the payroll because <laughs> yes, they, they, are. they eat my stuff so someone told me putrid eggs and garlic is the best organic thing but um, well, well certainly try, try some of the repellents, certainly some of the repellents, and blood meal, which is an organic product, and it is also a fertilizer that will benefit your plants. Okay. That can deter rabbits from wanting to hop in your garden. But okay. really, the only true solution is put up an 18-inch fence. <laughs> Chicken water. Yeah, and it needs to be high because we've, we've got a, a deer fence around our garden, and then around the bottom I've got about a 12-inch chicken wire fence. But this year, the rabbits have exploded on our property, and apparently they just put their little paws on that 12-inch chicken wire, chew through the deer fence, and zip right into the... And, lay, and, and they've laid their bunnies in there as well, <laughs> which is not... Yeah, not supposedly this is a, ba a banner year for yeah. It seems for to be, yes, I uh, would agree. Um, and if someone sent me an article about the exponential possibilities of, of two rabbits yeah. it's like frightening yeah i mean it's like they could remake the movie ben or willard yes. with bunnies from this article that i read oh they benefit all of our predators that's a right benefit to them okay so that is grow it eat it and again uh thank you for the library for that and again can uh, folks go on the library website to find out about that jennifer Yes, and uh, they can check the Evanced calendar, which is on our website, or they can go to Headlines and Happenings, um, because we always post our programs there as well. Great. Now, the Garden Series class, classes, um, where, where are they offered, and uh, how do folks find out more about those? And that covers rain gardens, pruning, perennials, etc. Yeah, same thing. We say thank you to Jennifer and the Harford County Public uh, the Harford County Library System because we do our programs and partner with them because they do our publicity. So again, you're going to go to their website to find out what courses we're offering. We we have a nice diversity of classes. We try to never duplicate them, but every month of the year, we're doing a program at the Bel Air Library with we call it our garden series, 10:15 in the morning, and it runs for what almost 2 hours. Mm -hmm almost a two-hour class, and this upcoming month will be fragrant plants in your garden. So there'll be a PowerPoint there taught by one of our volunteer master gardeners who's an advanced skilled gardener, and you'll learn about fragrant smells to incorporate into your garden to make a pleasant experience while you're sitting out there in the evenings. How come my lilac blooms are anemic over the past year or two? They just seem to not really bloom that well, and they only... Uh, seem to thrive for a short time. I'd encourage you to prune back your tree. Okay. Make sure you're doing the renewal prunings. That's true of most blooming shrubs, is you need to go in pretty much every year, take as much as one-third of the shrub out of there to get some renewal shoots coming from down inside. And by doing that, they're more likely to give you the blossoms you want. You also need to make sure there's no shade trees in the area that are beginning to make the shade deeper, deeper, deeper shade will discourage any blooms on your lilacs. Okay, well there's two very good explanations. <laughs> and we have, a, it, our garden series usually has a class on pruning uh, every yes. year because that's a very popular class. Not with electric hedge trimmers, but 
real actual hand Well, we have questions on that, uh, on that too, because <laughs> um, my kids and I uh, put in the lilac bush for my wife about 12 years ago for Mother's Day. And uh, we've pruned it, um, let's see, zero times. Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> step one. Is that wrong? <laughs> Is that bad? Well, honestly, those are old shrubs that live on properties for 50, 7,500 years, and they do sporadically still bloom. But if you want a reliable blooming plant, I would recommend that you do some renewal pruning in there. And pruning off the blossoms and cutting them to put in your house is very beneficial to the lilac, because by doing that, you're taking off seed heads. We call it deadheading. By deadheading itself, you'll get encouraged new growth that will then bloom for you the following year. So explain that um, as far as deadheading and pruning, um, about when to do it. I know it's different for each plant uh, and, and for trees as well. For instance, uh, we have uh, petunias that really respond well to, yes, which is absolutely. just plucking out mm -hmm. the, the old bud, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yes, it's... As it starts to wane, mm -hmm. as the bloom starts to wane. And it's not just the petals that you're pulling off. It should be the actual base of the flower. The cup, too. Which is what we call the ovary of the flower, where the seeds are produced inside. So, yes, you have to get the green base to the flower of your petunia. Okay. Pinch that whole thing off. And that prevents seed production. Every plant has one desire, produce seeds, reproduce. That's what they all want to do. By preventing them from doing that, then they say, oh, I, I still have to make a new flower because I have to make seeds and reproduce. And you just keep pinching it off, fooling the plant. And it oh, keeps okay. it into that, keeps it in a vegetative state. And it keeps it growing actively. Interesting. That's why... Um plants make their seeds so tasty to birds so the birds will eat them and correct disperse them. Correct. disperse them yes very interesting and is it true that with pine like we have some white pines and someone said that if you cut the candle in this the candle is that tan shoot that grows up in the spring mm -hmm. new if growth you, if you cut that that two candles will form is that well, that is one of the methods for pruning pine trees, or, okay. or even if you had yeah, any kind of pine. Okay. Because most pines don't like to be pruned, although the white pine can be made into a hedge. It's a unique pine, but most of your other pines, you just prune the candles. In the okay. spring months, you, take, you can take almost two-thirds of that candle off and pinch that. It's just a soft pinch, taking those off, and often it will sprout out and can give you two little side shoots where you had one before. But okay. that is pretty much the only way to prune something that might be like a mugo pine and your Japanese black pines that you might have in your yard. Okay. Prune the candles. Okay. And what about um, uh, spider mites and my um, um, juniper? Not juniper. Spruce. Uh, spruce. Alberta spruce. spruce. Oh, that's a common problem. Yeah. What yeah, everybody gets spider mites on them. My first statement needs to be why are you getting a question why are you getting spider mites so what oftentimes that's a result that a plant's not in the right place and it's feeling stressed and any plant that has a stress factors occurring it's actually like a neon light blinking like i'm not feeling well i'm sick and insects are attracted to that so i would go back and say do you have your 
dwarf Alberta spruce planted in a good location? Is it getting adequate moisture in that spot? Or is it stressed and just far too dry? Because those situations will encourage development of spider mites. Okay, very so interesting. Once you've got the spider mite, well, there's not a lot of things you can do to stop them completely. You're never going to eradicate them. The question is, how can you reduce the population to a tolerance level? Sometimes and we're not to you. Seven or Meliathon is is really is really unhealthy yeah. for everything. Those are blanket them. sprays, and they kill good guys and bad guys. One out of ten is a bad guy. That means the other nine are good guys. And when you're putting blanket sprays on like that, you're killing everybody, and you're okay. throwing the whole eco balance of the shrub. You're throwing it off. Okay. So take a garden hose and beat spray violently into the dwarf Alberta spruce and try to beat those little spider mites off. They're so tiny, they have a very hard time climbing from the ground back up onto your shrub. Okay. Bagworms in uh, Leland Cypress. Yeah. Um, ten, ten, uh, just, you pinch them out? Yeah, that's the best approach really? because... You got kids? They'll have a great time just <laughs> pinching out those bagworms. You know, right at the stem. Okay. I'm just trying to think of things that people were probably... Um, dealing with tent pillars. I have a birch tree. The tent pillars love it. And they are scary. Tent pillars. Tent caterpillars? Tent caterpillars? Yeah. yeah. They sort of build like these see-through yes. nests. Yes, little tents. And mm -hmm. It's like from, from a horror, horror movie. How you do can, I... You can prune the branch off right below where the nest is uh, <clears> and then stomp on them and... And, and the birds will come and eat them off, off the ground. Okay. Or you can just open up that, that if you can reach it, you can just open up that, that tent and squish the squish at some of the, of the worms, of the caterpillars. And again, the birds will come in and they'll do, they'll do the work for you. Uh, but you should get them out because they, if they remain there, they will, they will A, repopulate and B, defoliate the tree. Now that's not gonna kill your tree, at this time of the year because the tree is already photosynthesized and done a lot of its growth for the year but uh, you don't want to encourage those things to you know kill as many of them as you can but there's no sprays or anything that that you should use use you should pruning and stomping <laughs> yes <laughs> okay that's fair i don't like stomping though i don't know why oh well it's very just take your rake like and open release. take your rake and just open up that yeah, tent okay. to the yeah. predators Okay. Oh, well, that's good stuff. It's unsightly. Uh, no doubt they're unsightly. And Bradford pears, were these the biggest mistake in, uh, in horticultural uh, yes. bioengineering in history? I know. And by our government. Yeah. Tell, um, um, uh, uh, I'll, I'll start with what I know then. then tell, tell us. Everyone knows Bradford pears. Uh, I believe they were uh, bred because they grow fast, they flower for a long time, uh, their roots go down mostly instead of out, so they don't mess with sidewalks as much. But they all grow out of, all the boughs, the bows, grow out of the same nodule, so invariably sometime in their life, a strong wind, especially if it's unpruned, yes. is going to take a big chunk yeah. of that tree out. What, what's yeah. going on there with Bradford pears and... Uh, well, uh, given well, the, the horses out of the barn, yeah. that this disaster happened. Well, they were supposed to be sterile. Yes, they were introduced by the USDA, by the government, to be the perfect street tree because of all the things that you've said. It was supposed to be the perfect answer for this wonderful tree. But, of course, they hadn't tested it for 30 years or 25 years. That was 
trials that were just done up to maybe seven years of age. So then when they were released as sterile plants, we observed on our streets that the branches were breaking. And the term is crotches, the crotch branching. If you were to look at your hands, the way the, your fingers come out of your hand, the four fingers upright, those are poor branch crotching styles. When they're real close together like that, those type of V's in the tree have a tendency to break with ice and wind. The correct type of branch crotching would be between your thumb and your forefinger, that big, wide, sort of an L shape. That's the type of branch style that you really want in a tree. And the Bradford pear does not naturally have that. So if you were to plant a Bradford pear, you need to do some corrective pruning, even on a young tree, to stop, stop that V crotching oh, okay. and change it to more L-shaped branching. So now uh, someone out there is stuck with a... 40-footer, um, and... Not for long. Uh, right, <laughs> right. Um, because you, I swear, when it's really windy, uh, you know, I, I live in a community with 92 homes, and we're surrounded by woods, but we're surrounded by a lot of other communities, and sound travels well. You hear two or three snaps. Yeah, sure. Within a mile. Yeah. I, I know, and you just know it's usually a Bradford pair, because the... Because the tops also act like sails because they're so leafy. Mm -hmm. um, so what if you're stuck with that now? I mean, do you pay uh, someone to come in with a cherry picker and and really top it off and do that on a regular basis? or? Tips? I would cut it down. Okay. But we had two uh, on our property. We still have them, but this year we're taking one down and next year we're taking the other. We planted... Um, um, Sycamores, uh, which have, have grown up very nicely. They're almost as tall as the Bradford pears at this point in just five years. And we're going to take the Bradford pears down. They're, they're, they're a trash tree. And if we don't take them down, they're going to come down. And I, it's better to be proactive and, and take them down. and plant, plant something ahead of time that will, that will take its place so that you don't just have a bare spot there. And then when, that, when your new tree gets to be of a nice size, take the Bradford pear down. I, although it's detracting from the arborist's income, I wouldn't spend the finances to have them pruned by an arborist. No. I would set that, as Joan said, the long-term proactive plan. This is an invasive species. It's not recommended to be planted in your yards. It's not recommended because it escapes into the wild and plants itself all up and down our highways. We do not recommend the use of a Bradford pear tree. If you have one, start your plan now. Say, look, I want a beautiful flowering tree in my yard over here. I'm ultimately going to remove my Bradford. But meanwhile, as Joan said, get another substitute tree established. And as that develops and it gets blocks the view that you want to block or screens out the neighbor that you may not want to see their pool, whatever, and as it gets mature, remove your Bradford pear. Okay. And what's a, what's a friendly way to remove a stump while we're on that if I take my Bradford pear down? I hear so many theories. I would pay the money to have a yeah. company oh, really? route it out, really. And those I wouldn't plant. Those things up. They keep coming yeah. back. Those, the, the, yeah, I have a yeah. white pine stump. Uh, someone said bore holes and put in uh, Epsom salt. Well, I wouldn't do that because then the long-term effects of that in my soil, I wouldn't like. Okay. I wouldn't. I would cover it with soil. That's what I've done in my own yard. I actually <laughs> built a compost pile right around the stump, and I started a compost pile there and I'm just going to let it compost for a couple years. And what I'm going to do is landscape all around the tree trunk. I'm going to have the soil another 
12 to almost maybe 18 inches and I'm going to start putting perennials and things and it's going to take this stump 10 years to decompose under all of that but it's going to be disguised under my new landscaping. <laughs> Amen. And at least think of um, you know how many years they say every thousand years there's uh, there's uh, 12 inches of earth mm. added just from organic material etc so maybe someone will find the remains of that stump um, in about 100,000 years and it'll be about <laughs> it'll be about 50 feet down <laughs> okay so we have uh, Joan Paris and Joyce Browning here uh, with some great great information on, on gardening and um, vegetable gardening and uh, uh, sustainable uh, growing uh, rain gardens, uh, gardening and landscaping that protects um, our waterways, and gar Master Gardener classes. Uh, you can go to Master Gardener, Gardeners Maryland to get started to find out more about it. Go to the uh, hcplonline.org. Um, you can um, uh, Google Baywise Maryland, and um, yeah, I think for folks that, you know, because we all want to do the right thing, but I think that most of us don't think we're really making it, would make a difference, and we do. So, amen. Yes. Amen. Thank you, ladies. Thank you. All right. Thank, Thank you. Okay, hey, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll be talking with Ironbird's General Manager, Matt Slatus. Then we'll cover some great events coming up at the library. We'll go over the edge where we look at some news from our outside Harford County and do some thingamabobs. Help your child build a better world with Harford County Public Library's Summer Reading Challenge. Studies show that children who participate in public library summer reading programs score higher on reading achievement tests at the beginning of the new school year. Experience less summer reading loss and begin the new school year with more confidence. The Harford County Public Library Summer Reading Program, designed from children from birth through high school, will ignite your child's imagination and inspire a lifetime love of reading. Register now at hcplonline.org or any Harford County Public Library branch. Each registered reader will receive a commemorative tote bag filled with Summer Reading Challenge sponsors information and coupons. Upon completion of the Summer Reading Program, all children will receive a certificate of completion and a special gift plus a ticket voucher for an Aberdeen Iron Birds game on August 8th or 24th. For more information and to check out all the special events happening at your library throughout the summer, go to hcplonline.org or pick up a copy of the headlines and happening at any of the library's 13 branches. Help your child build a better world with Harford County Public Library's Summer Reading Challenge. Welcome back. I'm co-host Jennifer Button from the Harford County Public Library, and that is Bob Mummy, and this is the Harford Edge. We're delighted to have Ironbird's General Manager, Matt Slatus, in the studio this morning. Matt, Good morning. welcome. Good morning, guys. How are you? Good, good. I'm always relieved when I hear the voice on the other end because there's about eight buttons I have to hit, and if I don't have the uh, lovely and talented Libby or Rebecca here to guide me, uh, uh, anything can happen. You never know. I still have right. a VCR flashing 12, 12 p.m. from like 1992 <laughs> in my den. <laughs> so. We have Matt Button, General Manager of the uh, Ironbirds. Matt Button. Matt's I was about to mention Jennifer's Buttons, um, 
cousin who took a great picture of that little girl at the Ironbirds game. And oh, very cool. I wrote it in my note, so I'm saying we have Matt Button because Matt is her cousin and he took the photo. No worries. You can't, uh, you, you can't, you talk about great PR for a great event. Uh, what a uh, great shot that was. Matt, tell yeah, us briefly about who, um, about who you are and how long you've been here, and then we have a few things we want to get into with you. Sure. So I, I joined the Ironbirds following the 2016 season. Um, proud to say that I, I just experienced my 16th opening day in professional baseball. Um, I spent some time with the New York Yankees and some of their minor league affiliates, uh, about five years with the Texas Rangers, where I actually worked on the baseball side of our industry, not necessarily the business side of the industry. Um, some time at Madison Square Garden with the New York Knicks and Rangers. Uh, and most recently, I spent the last seven years operating spring training, uh, particularly the business of spring training, on behalf of the Chicago White Sox and the Los Angeles Dodgers out in Arizona. Uh, and I think, Bob, I've joked with you, when you get a phone call from Cal Ripken saying, hey, do you want to run my baseball team, it doesn't matter how happy you are in your present job, uh, you sell your house, give up everything you had, and move across the country. Amen. And that, that brought my wife and I here last September, and it's, it's been a blast reinventing the Ironbirds ever since. Well, uh, you're certainly moving the needle, and uh, we, uh, we, the whole community thanks you because you've really uh, put a, uh, really re-energized what is a great local institution, and you've just taken it to another level, so we thank you for that. Well, I, I appreciate the kind words, and I, I really believe that it's, it's my job to make sure that the club is front and center and the community always doing the right thing. Well, um, one of the things that I, I just said to Cindy when I saw we got an email from uh, Justin uh, who was your t uh, your ticketing manager is that the right term uh, ticketing director of ticketing okay Justin Johnson and I you know great little note yesterday to all um, your ticket holders and um, it just filled us in on everything it was professional I read it to the end and I read about one in 80 of these things to the end because it was it was concise, it was polite. It told us what we needed to know. Um, so hats off. Uh, that's a that's a says a lot about the organization. And hats off to Justin because I've dealt with him. He does a great job. Well, I'll I'll give you a little insight into Justin. Um, you know, funny enough, he was an intern of mine 11 years ago in New York City. Uh, at that point, he was getting his master's degree at NYU. So it shows you he's an intelligent guy. Um, since then, Justin has spent the last 11 years leading group ticketing, group ticket sales for the Atlanta Braves. So when we talk about reinventing the Ironbirds, it's not just being more visible. It's, it's really about hiring a high caliber of honest individual. Um, you know, we brought a guy in who was leading a major league ticket sales staff to lead our short season single A ticket sales staff in Harper County. So we're trying to bring in the highest possible caliber of individual we can um, Bob, to make sure you and the rest of our season seat members get emails like that that are honest, concise, upfront, share with you exactly what's going on. It's great. Good management. That's, as Glenn Vallis says, um, you make him look good every day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to do that for Glenn because he's been good to me. So, and speaking of those upcoming events, um, batting practice this Monday, mm -hmm. uh, um, which is really interesting. It, it's uh, it's, uh, it runs from 4 to 8 p.m. Um, at the field, and but you do need to RSVP. Uh, you to, do need to. 
to RSVP, and it's also only open to our season seat members. Okay. So the the most important thing to remember is you have to be a season seat member, but we'd love to have you out there, and you, you just give Justin a call, 410-297-9292, and that's going to be a Monday from 4 to 8, and just like that email said, you get to pick up a bat, and we'll throw you some balls, and you can hit on the same field as your, your baby Orioles. Um, your Ironbirds hit on. Well, I got to do that at Camden Yards with my name on the scoreboard. It was the most thrilling thing I've ever done. And shag flies in the outfield, so that was courtesy I of bet. Nations Bank. Um, so if you're a season seat member, um, uh, uh, if you're a season seat holder, uh, you need to call Justin at 410-297-9292. Um, that's all you have to do. If you're not a season seat holder, you need to do two things. A, become a season seat holder, then call Justin at 410-297-9292. Did I get that and right? call Justin, and he'll make you a season seat holder. Exactly. Okay. What else we got? Um, Wednesday? Coming up, next week, the team returns on the 28th. We play the Brooklyn Cyclones, which is the, the single-A affiliate of the New York Mets, uh, a former employer of mine as well. Um, and very cool thing coming up in that series on Friday night, June 30th, uh, we'll be hosting our annual military appreciation night. Uh, but one of the things that, you know, is, is local and plays close to our heart is the, the changing of command at APG. So the new garrison commander, Colonel Phillips, will actually be at the ballpark that night throwing out a first pitch. Um, you know, General Randy Taylor, uh, the head of CECOM, he's unable to make it, but we'll have a special video message from him that night because he is traveling. Uh, but it's all about bringing APG, bringing Hartford County together at the ballpark to understand how lucky we are to have a base of that size and a base with that history, obviously now 100 years of history, right in our backyard. Um, so we'll recognize and honor uh, soldiers from APG, retired veterans, uh, anybody that has a connection to the military in Hartford County. We would love to see them at that ballpark that night so they can be recognized. Um, you know, that's just one little way we can get back to the folks that keep us safe every single day. That's fantastic. And that'll really help... Um publicize the, the amazing program, year-long program they have for the celebrating the centennial. And Justin, what time does the game start on Wednesday? So Wednesday's game is at 7.05. Uh, the gates to the ballpark will open at 5.30. And then on Military Appreciation Night, Friday as well, uh, game starts at 7.05. The gates open at 5.30. And we'll have fireworks after the game also, so you won't want to miss it. Great. And I think Jennifer and I just got the same idea about um, our friends at Perry Point VA Hospital, um, something we just did with the library regarding um, their wish lists. Um, we may be calling you on that. Uh, might be Please a great do. opportunity. Please do. Uh, okay, we have community night coming up. Second community movie night. Um, on July 1st, Saturday, um, working with our friends at Giant Food, we'll actually be showing the Lego Batman movie. Uh, you know, when a ballpark gets a little bit older in age, and our facility's 15 years in age, it needs some significant upgrades. Uh, so our owner, Cal Ripken, uh, he invested $800,000 this offseason into a brand-new 1,500-square-foot high-definition video board. Uh, last night, or last month, rather, we were able to show Disney's Moana. Just under 500 people showed up for our first-ever movie night. Wow. And we're hoping that this week, for the Lego Batman movie next Saturday, uh, we have an even bigger crowd, and the event is completely free. It's presented by Giant Food, and our families, our friends, you can bring your own food into the ballpark that night. 
spring a picnic, you're welcome to sit on the outfield grass. Um, you can sit in the stadium seats. But if you'd like to sit on the field, you're more than welcome. Again, you're welcome to bring your food, bring your beverages. Uh, the only thing we would ask is you don't bring any glass bottles or alcoholic beverages. Uh, but you're welcome to bring a picnic. Come on out and enjoy a great movie on our new 1,500-square-foot HD video board. Well, and now, 1,500 square feet, is that square? Is it 30 by 50? Is it where square? Or? That, that's, that's exactly what it is. It's 30 by 50. And the, the viewable space on this video board is 10 times larger than the prior video board at the ballpark. Okay. Um, so imagine if you're sitting on your couch, Bob, Jennifer, and you, you flip on the TV, and the, the TV is about 10 times the size of the wall. That's what watching at the ballpark is like. <laughs> I just, it amazes me that the processing power, um, uh, the, the generator of that image probably it, you could, is the size of a fist, and it would, it would have been 11 rooms 20 right. years ago. <laughs> well, I, I don't play video games, but if I did, uh, there wouldn't be a better place to play than on that screen. For sure. Okay, fantastic. So that's uh, July 1st, Lego Batman movie. Thanks to our friends at Giant. Gates open at six. Movie begins at seven oh five. What else? Uh, one uh, one question. Um, I realized how hard it is to be a general manager finally, or I understood it a little better when uh, the skies opened up on Monday. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah, it was a you know unfortunately it was a challenging um, what was meant to be opening night for the Ironbirds. So with the skies opening up at about 3.30 uh, and with rain looking like it was going to continue until about 7.30, uh, unfortunately I had to make that gut-wrenching call to postpone our opening night game. Um, <clears throat> but really, looking at the radar maps, uh, working with the National Weather Service, working with the two teams and their coaching staffs, it, it was a no-brainer. And what it really boiled down to was that if we opened the facility at 5.30, um, we could have played that night, but I think we would have asked the 6,000 fans in attendance to probably hang around for three hours or so. And I'm just not a big believer that if you come into a ballpark to watch a baseball game and it takes three hours for the first pitch to even be thrown, that you're going to have a very good experience. Um, so we were able to reschedule that opening night game. We played the next night. Orioles all-star closer Zach Britton took the mound for us and threw a perfect inning. Uh, but we rescheduled that game as part of a doubleheader on June 26, or July 26th, rather. So the next time the Hudson Valley Renegades, the, the Tampa Bay Rays affiliate, come back to Aberdeen, we'll actually play a doubleheader with them on uh, July 27th, rather. And, you know, it's free baseball, so you're welcome to come out to the ballpark that night and catch two games for the price of one. Uh, so we'll play free baseball on Thursday, July 27th, when the, the Hudson Valley Renegades come out to the park. But... You're right. It was a, a gut-wrenching, heart-wrenching, uh, really painful decision to make to cancel opening night. But looking back on it now, as uh, I look outside my window and I'm seeing one of these famous Maryland rainstorms again, uh, it was definitely the right decision to make just so our fans could come out to the ballpark the next night and have a great time. Um, I'm curious, how many times did you look at that forward loop of the radar Doppler? Uh, I'm guessing it was about 500 times during uh, the afternoon. The better, the better question is how many times every 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I definitely spent the morning looking at radar. Okay, well tell uh, Zach Britton to keep getting stronger because we need him to to uh, to st stop the, uh, the, the the dances sure around the, the, the base path is... 
paths of the uh, uh, Orioles' opponents. We're not. Uh, we sure do. We're not Hopefully locking them down. Back. Yeah, okay. I think you'll see him back here pretty quickly. Excellent, excellent. Okay, uh, Matt Slatis, GM of the Ironbirds. Uh, thanks again. Don't forget, everyone, call uh, 210-497-9292 to get into uh, the member batting practice um, or to uh, sign up for season seats so that you can attend that. Thanks again, Matt. Thank you, guys. Appreciate the time. Take That's care. all the so time long. we have for the Hartford Edge. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.